Hello, and welcome to the Culture Force podcast. We're excited you're here. Now, we know that you're probably listening to this as you drive or work out or whatever you're doing or wherever you are, and you don't have the ability right now to write down every single thing you hear that our guests share, and some of it is world-changing. It's incredible. So we got your back. Kyle and I have created a free ebook that contains every single interview we've done, the highlights of those interviews. And so it's about 20 pages long. If you head over to cultureforce.team, T-E-A-M, and just put in your email address, we'll send you this ebook that has all the best bits of the podcast we've conducted this season. So head over there. Make sure you head over to iTunes and give us a like as well. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us whether you think Kyle did a better job or whether Chris did a better job. Uh, or if you think we just both did a good job, or maybe we both need work. But anyways, we love hearing from you. Head over there for that free ebook. It's a, a treasure trove of some of the best information that I've ever heard from some of these incredible people we've interviewed this season. So thanks for your time, and let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, could I please have your attention? It's the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Hey, so welcome to the pod. My name is Kyle and my best friend, Chris uh, Mefford is to my right. Well, actually, we're uh, not together uh, because of COVID-19, but uh, welcome to the first episode of our podcast where we are going to be talking to some great leaders over season one, some great entrepreneurs and some great people that have some interesting perspectives on how they have impacted cultures in and around them and the organizations um, and entities that they work with. Again, my name is Kyle Bucket. I am a former Navy SEAL, retired. I spent 20 years in the Navy, had a wonderful career getting to do everything from single-man operations all the way up to leading an 800-man Marine Force through a clearance operation. I had uh, the unique opportunity to do everything in between. And, you know, a lot of people sometimes think of Navy SEALs as just guys and, you know, that are just kicking down doors, uh, blowing stuff up. And they don't always get to see the enterprise level of leadership that a lot of us have the opportunity to, uh, to take advantage of and, and get blessed with. So, we're going to be talking about that all throughout season one and uh, and have some fun with it. Chris? Hey, tell, man, tell that's great. About- um, I'm, I may not be there, but you're to the right of my screen. So I guess that kind of counts is what you said. I'm excited to be here, too, uh, <laughs> with right. Kyle. Uh, you, Kyle and I met at uh, a Business Leaders Breakfast, and uh, we're, we've been fast friends ever since. Uh, Kyle, you are a former Navy SEAL, so you add to my street cred phenomenally. Uh, the fact that I can't remember ever shooting a weapon. Um, and I know one day we're going to go out and you're going to try and teach me how to do this properly uh, should add to the excitement level of this friendship uh, and put our lives completely in danger as well, uh, which I always think is fun when we hang out together. Um, I have a background in business. I uh, am a branding and marketing specialist. I've worked with Dave Ramsey. I work at a at a at a college in San Diego now, helping with their uh, advertising and branding and marketing. I've worked at one of the largest churches, the chief marketing officer in the nation. Um, and so I am excited to talk to you about everything that you want to talk about with regards to business 
with regards to culture, with regards to product development. And I'm super excited about the people we're going to have on this podcast as well. I actually sat in on a webinar yesterday with one of the guys, Jeff Campbell, who is the former global uh, head and CEO of Burger King. And uh, he was fantastic. He uh, served in the military and he talked about how to negotiate and work through crises within your organization. And certainly as it relates today with this coronavirus and COVID-19 situation. And so he was fascinating. Um, I got to listen to him. And he's just one of the, the people we're going to bring on and talk to uh, about business and culture. Oh, man. Season one is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. So let's get into it, bud. Yeah, let's do it. It's it's funny because, uh, you know, when you and I hang out, uh, we're kind of uh, ribbing each other, pushing each other, uh, kidding each other. Uh, it's kind of harder when you're not in the same room to kind of pull it off and not come off as a jerk um, or sound legit. But we're going to give it a shot, I think, um, and not take ourselves too seriously throughout this entire process. But uh, Kyle, uh, to give to give uh, the listeners some perspective, today is April seventeenth, two thousand twenty, and we are at what day twenty three of the national shutdown for COVID nineteen. It feels um, like day twenty three hundred. <laughs> maybe for you, Chris. Maybe for you. For us, all the guys in special operations, is say no thing. <laughs> right. It's funny. That it's like another been, deployment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you've been on your Peloton and I have a Peloton. We're racing uh, for everybody out there. And Kyle gives me a hard time because his numbers are like double mine. And I'm like, you're legitimately a Navy SEAL, Kyle. Like, I, I can't. How does anybody keep up with that? It's ridiculous. So my advice to everybody out there is if you're uh, competing with your friends on Peloton, try not to go up against a Navy SEAL because it will demoralize you almost every single day. <laughs> you know, we're actually going to do my buddy and I uh Langley are going to do a uh, a live Peloton tomorrow, actually, uh, tomorrow at noon. You got to be on there. It's going to be fun. All right. I'll do that. That sounds great. Um, hey, why don't you tell everybody about your background? Uh, you know, I'll throw some questions at you, but Kyle, you have been a Navy SEAL. You just retired uh, this past spring uh, after 20 years in Special Forces. Uh, you've seen a lot. You actually joined up uh, with special forces and the Navy SEALs before it was cool and hip to do that. Uh, you sound like a, a hipster. I was actually doing it before it was actually cool. Um, <laughs> but you really were. Uh, you know, the Navy SEALs didn't really catch on fire until about uh, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, started pressing in. But you've been at it a long time. Uh, so why don't you tell everybody how you became a Navy SEAL, why you chose that career path? Uh, and maybe, you know, one of the one of the best things you've learned uh, as, as a result of it throughout your life, that's kind of carried through whenever somebody asks you, you know, what's, what's one piece of advice you would give anybody, what would that be? Sure. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, I grew up in New York, uh, just North of Manhattan. And, uh, ever since a young age, I had this, this entrepreneurial spirit in me. Like when I was 10, you know, I got a paper route, um, by the time I was, uh, 12, I was looking to start, you know, my first business which was like a car washing business with some friends. Uh, by the time I was 13 or 14, I started a computer repair shop with my buddy and I, he and I would, you know, go around town trying to, uh, 
acquire old ladies as clients. That was our target market because <laughs> uh, they didn't really understand how to uh, install a PC into their home and get uh, on the internet. Back then, the internet was uh, dial-up, AOL, had just come online. And uh, so anyway, um, I had this entrepreneurial spirit, but uh, I was growing up and um, my dad comes home one day and he goes, hey, uh, you know, you, you got you to gotta kind of stop all this stuff. I need more help around the house. I'm like, well, why is that? He goes, well, I'm uh, quitting my job. I was like, what? He had this great job. He was the director of media and graphic design and photography for all of Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital in Manhattan. And he was like, I, I, I don't want to be on this side of it anymore. I want to I practice medicine myself. And I'll never forget when he did that because that meant I was the oldest of five kids. That meant I was going to have to put a pause on, you know, at the time I'm a young punk, but all my little endeavors of stuff I wanted to do and really help out around the house. Oldest of five kids, mom, a dog, you know, there's a lot going on and dad's going to go be a full-time <laughs> medical student. And uh, so I put everything on pause. So fast forward a couple of years later. But by the time I'm in my senior year of high school, I'm ready to get the heck out of Dodge. Like I, like I can't get out of New York fast enough. And I had been thinking about joining the military. Well, in my senior year, my dad brings home this book. I was really fascinated with, you know, Chuck Norris and, and Delta Force and CAG and all this stuff. And my dad brings home this book about Navy SEALs. Well, I mean, this is the 90s, right? There wasn't a lot of information, like you said, out there about it. And I had been a water, a water rat, as they say, my entire life. Like I love being around the ocean. I love being around lakes and rivers and pools. I just liked being around the water. I was fascinated with being underwater, you know, holding my breath as a kid, swimming as fast as I could. I loved racing um, uh, in, you know, swim comps or, or swim races, if you will. And so my dad brings home this book about Navy SEALs, and I stayed up till about five in the morning that night. I'll never forget it. I read the entire book, and I was like, holy moly, this is what I want to do. I want to serve my country in this capacity. This is incredible. I could be you know, in and around the water. So my mom comes uh, to breakfast. I'm, I'm, she's like, wow, you're up early. It's like, yeah, mom. Well, you know, you know, you got to be up early. She's like, why is that? And I was like, well, because if you're going to be a Navy SEAL, you you know, you got to be up early and get ready to go. And she's like, oh, my gosh, what are you what are you talking about? And so I showed her the book my dad had gotten me. And she's like, Bell! you know, and uh, but that was it. I was so I was hooked. I was hooked. I wanted to become a Navy SEAL. I wanted to serve the country in a maritime environment. You know, it was fun. It's funny. You and I always joke. I wanted to serve the country in an elite way around the water. And then uh, 9-11 happens. And pretty much all I've seen is, is the desert. You know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You became a SEAL because you love the water and you spent 20 years in the desert. <laughs> For the most part. I did get to do uh, like almost a year long deployment in the Philippine Islands, which was really cool. Really different. Um a really different theater, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, a, it was a good ride. Did was, you ever uh, jump out of one of those airplanes like Tom Cruise and mission impossible and into the ocean and then swim to shore, uh, swim to a boat. 
but uh you know i think in that uh in the um movie he's he's at a pretty high altitude like a ridiculously high altitude um i i personally am not jumped from that high it's crazy i saw a video yesterday which is why i brought it up um of the camera i always love those movies where like he's just falling for like eight minutes (laughs) (laughs) all right well they edit all that together make it seem but i always thought it was like green screen like he was on ropes and they kind of hung him there and he was kind of they were blowing wind up in his face and they had the this video I saw yesterday was the two camera guys literally jumped out with him and he was that high and they were wearing oxygen and they practiced in smaller planes. Like that just adds crazy legitimacy to that whole movie and what I actually oh, yeah. think about Tom Cruise. No, it's incredible. They have some great technical advisors on that on that shot. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's an incredible shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Wow, wow, wow. Well, that's pretty incredible, Kyle, that you did that. Now, so you got in, and was it everything you'd hoped it was? You know, it's, you know, you read the books, and you sure, wanted to do sure. it, and obviously you ended up in the desert. But, you know, was there ever a point when you got in, and you're like, you've been in there a week, you're going through training, you're like, what have I done? It was more. It was more. You know, you you think, well, I'll talk about the, basic, the basics part, the basics. Um, you think when you're joining – you know, anything in life like college, um, grad school, anything in life is going to be a one certain way. And then you you go and it's and it's a hard, hard thing to go through, you know, basic Navy SEAL training. It's very challenging, but it's always funny. We always joke that the basic part of training is the easiest part because it's mindless. Yes, it's tough. No doubt about it. It is tough. But in terms of, you know, a long career, if you're going to stay in that in that wheelhouse, it's uh, it's the easy part because it's because of one simple thing. It's mindless. It's mindless. You just have to stick it out. You you really don't have to overthink things. You just listen to everything the instructors tell you to do and you're going to be just fine as long as, you know, you prepped your body well enough to make it through the uh, the training and you weren't lying to yourself that you actually truly wanted to be there. You truly wanted to be there for the right reasons or were willing to do everything to get through it, you know, but it's still, it's still mindless in the fact that you don't have to really think too much. Okay. I got interrupted. You there. will have for I got interrupted five, there. six years later. I yeah. ask you, it's mindless. Like to a guy like me uh, and we're, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty decently athletic. I'm not incapable of, uh, of sort of getting up. You and I race each other on the Peloton, like I said. Um, but I mean, mindless and, and, and physically challenging, mentally challenging, um, you make it sound easy, but uh, maybe share a little bit about how you, you're able to kind of maneuver through those kind of difficult things and look back on them and feel like it was mindless and easy. What is it you tapped into? What's the advice you would give someone that was being challenged. You know, we're, we're going through some first, right now. Sure. Well, first for first, the, uh, all the guys that, that uh, show up to train, they're at an incredible level of fitness and an incredible level of, of average, you know, IQ, which is above, above average. But for the, uh, for the students that, that show up to training, I mean, they're all above, above the norm. Right. So, when you look around to the right or left of you, you are in a class of elite athletes, right? Let's call it collegiate level athletes, if you will. 
So you're 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 amongst men that are at a, a good high standard, but you deserve to be there as well because you've put on all the time and the effort in high school or in college to prep your body uh, physically to be there. And you've proved to the U.S. Navy uh, that you deserve to be there by, you know, performing for the physical standards tests. But my point of where I'm going with this is when you look to the right or the left of you, there's always, always going to be somebody that is better and there's always going to be someone that's worse, right? It's very rare that uh, you don't have that. There, in fact, just due to basic math, there's two guys, right? <laughs> in any in any uh, situation, there's only going to be two guys that that doesn't apply to. And it's only 50% of it that it doesn't apply to. Meaning the best guy, there's no one better than him, but there's a lot of worse guys. And then the worst guy. And you know what's funny is those two guys usually never last. It's very rare that those two guys last. But my point of where I'm going with this is when I was going through, I would look to the left and I would look to the right. And there was always a a guy that was faster than me, stronger than me, definitely better looking than me. And, And you know what would happen is that guy would eventually quit. And then I would go, wow, uh... He just quit. I don't have his capability. God did not gift me with his strength. God didn't gift me with his, um, you know, speed. But he just quit, and I'm still here. I'm still standing. I can do this. Um, you know, that would just reinforce. Hey, I really, really wanted to be here. I really, really wanted this. I don't care if that guy was better than me. I'm not quitting. I'm just not going to quit. But then that would happen again and again and again. And the guys that were maybe faster or stronger would quit and drop away. And I would just go. And then you eventually get to a point where you don't care anymore and you're not even paying attention until like the dust settles. And now you have your your buddies and your friends who are lifelong friends who you've met. You got to meet a lot of them at my retirement. But uh, that we're, you know, 20, 20. 50 years later, we'll, we'll still be best friends. I mean, I will tell you and all the listeners out there, uh, at your retirement, you know, often you may have heard, Hey, Navy SEALs, they don't look often like you think they do. Like they're, they're these, uh, Greek gods of men that uh, they're six foot four and two fifty, and they can all bench. I never met a more hodgepodge group of, of guys in my entire life. You would have never looked at that group and thought, these are the most elite athletes in the entire world. And I remember I was hanging out with a guy um, who was a commander of one of the SEAL teams. And we were chatting up and, um, and my wife was there and his wife was there. We were talking. I mean, he looked like me. Um, and I would never even imagine that I would look like the the commander of one of the SEAL teams. So, um, you know, I think you bring up an excellent point based along that. And that's a lot of people have a desire to win. They want to be successful in their career, in their job, in their business, because um, they like the idea of being successful. They like the idea of being the best. But liking the idea of something and achieving achieving it are, are diametrically different things. Um, and I have found in my experience through all of my work life that I would hire someone passionate about what we were doing that would live and die uh, with this passion and was that had that level of commitment 
100 times over 100 over someone who seemed more talented, that looked like they'd been to the better colleges and universities, that even had a better resume, uh, it wouldn't matter if you weren't sold out on what we were doing because those people will literally live and die with you in the trenches during the tough times. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the SEALs could teach a lot of people that, but there's a lot of people in business who go about hiring people simply based on their pedigree and their resume. And they don't uh, even ask the question, hey, why do you want to work here for us? You know, and some people just want a job or they like the idea of working at this place or that place, uh, but they're not completely sold out on what you're doing. They just kind of like the idea of having on uh, that kind of title on their resume and moving on. Um, and so I think that the lesson there would be, you know, look for people who are passionate about what you do. And I suppose that's what part of the weeding out process is uh, for you guys when they go to Bud's is to see who is passionate. Uh, you know, having to make your bed 50 times or getting woken up in the middle of the night or, or doing your hell week uh, and, and the wave training. I think that weeds out the people who just like the idea versus people who are passionate about the idea. And I don't think, and Kyle, jump in here. Uh, I don't think that that part of the process is they're just trying to beat you down to be mean. I think they really are trying to figure out who is the most passionate about what we're trying to do here. And if you're not completely sold out with passion and you're just here for the idea of it, we'll find out pretty quick by doing this. Yeah, and, and also you're going to find out for yourself, right? Meaning not, not just the instructor cadre are going to find that out for you. You're, you're going to find out for yourself. You're going to deselect yourself. You're going to go, oh, crap, I, I was lying to myself all along. I don't need I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. Uh, I just don't want this bad enough. And, and it's usually a most times it's a uh, it's a self-deselection, if you will. Yeah. Well, how do, you, how do you go about finding your passion? I mean, for you, you read that book and you got your own fire. What is it inside you that lights up? That you're able to go. I mean, this is know, passion. I, I think that that subject is so unique to each individual. Everyone's got the, and you know, Chris, I, I wish you and I've talked about this a lot. I wish as a, as a leader, as a leader, and, and for all the leaders out there who have teams, this is a, this is a good one. I wish I would have had someone share this with me earlier on in my, uh, in my leadership uh, career, if you will, is that I think those motivations, those desires, those passions are personal and there's nothing wrong with a variation of those motivations. And what I mean by that is if you have an individual that is motivated by, you know, maybe it's maybe it's money, maybe it's variety, maybe it's, you know, recognition, uh, maybe it's encouragement, um, you know, maybe it's just uh, get gifts, what, whatever it is. Um, it, it's really at the end of the day irrelevant, and I wish, I wish I would have learned that sooner than later. Because depending on the culture that you might be a part of, the Navy SEALs is a is a perfect example. You know, we are really, really great, really great. I mean, world class in so many ways. But one thing that's very challenging for us is. If you are an individual that is motivated by a certain couple of things, 
that goes against the grain of our culture. And it can be very challenging for leaders uh, who live in that arena to uh, reward and motivate their team when their team might be motivated by something that goes against the grain. For example, right? If an individual was born with the motivation of recognition, I'm going to use this one. This one's so great. If, if someone is born with the motivation of recognition, they like to be recognized. That's their individual motivator. Um, to me, this is my, this is my opinion. This is, uh, this is not sinful. This is not immoral. Some people might think it is, but I, I personally don't. Um, if you have an individual that is motivated by recognition and they're in the SEAL teams, that's a challenge. That's a real leadership challenge because our ethos in the Navy SEALs, our creed is, is all about humility, is about being a humble, silent warrior who will earn his Navy SEAL insignia device called the Trident every day. And so when you're a leader that has uh, an individual or two or three that is motivated by recognition, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that when you're in a culture that the culture itself talks nonstop about, hey, we all need to be humble. We all need to be silent warriors and not seek the limelight. And, you know, it's it, these days there's there's a lot of books out there. I mean, crap, I'm on a podcast right now talking about it. But for 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 me as a uh, as a young leader, uh, that was a challenge. It was 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 dealing with a different type of motivations. And I wish as a young leader that I would have realized that the the motivations of individuals, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. What matters more importantly is identifying them, identifying those motivations, recognizing them, and then going, okay, how do I, how do I work with this? As opposed to just immediately just, hey, that's wrong. That doesn't belong in our culture. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, so based off of that, what are ways that you can and pieces of advice you would give someone who has a leader who isn't big on motivation or big on uh, appreciation, if you will? I mean, how did you uh, get through that? I, I, you know, I, I understand that, you know, Navy SEALs don't do it for the affirmation. They do it for a larger calling, a larger cause. Uh, but ultimately, we all like to be appreciated. Um, so how did you guys handle it? I mean, I imagine you've got a great culture there, not because you don't appreciate one another, but because you figure out a way to do it um, that sort of motivates everyone equally, but also makes everyone feel appreciated. Sure, and there, and there is. And the military has some phenomenal ways of showing their appreciation uh, to individuals. I mean, we've all heard of, you know, the famous, you know, the Medal of Honor. Uh, silver stars, bronze stars, purple hearts. I mean, these are these are incredible awards that are bestowed to our service members. Incredible, and for for acts of valor and, and acts of honor, incredible acts of um, you know of mankind that that these guys have done. So there is there is that ability to ensure that you can reward those and and you know ensure that these are rewarded, um, you know, appropriately. But uh, back to your question on on uh, 
as an individual, as a leader, in terms of like motivating someone to do the work, uh, it it depends, right? It really depends on the individual. If you're if you're a leader, and your question was more about if you're a leader, not great at identifying motivation. Is that what you're? That was what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, well, Chris? I mean, with that, how do you show appreciation? Um, or how do you give appreciation to a group rather than focusing on an individual? Like in my experience, if I tell somebody, man, you're so great. I appreciate everything you're doing. I love how hard you're working. You know, I genuinely mean it, but occasionally that has come back to bite me in the butt because they'll be like, you keep telling me how awesome I am. How come I don't have a bigger raise? And, you know, mm-hmm. part of it's like, well, I mean, you're supposed to be awesome, right? <laughs> this is your job. Why would you not want to be anything other than awesome? I just want to appreciate you for how hard you are working. And that's not to say I didn't ever give raises. You know, often we give raises every single year. Uh, but what I mean is sometimes people started to develop a higher self-importance or self-worth than what they really were, or they didn't really understand their job was to come in and help us figure out how to win. Um, and when you did that, we did appreciate you a variety of ways, but sometimes it was just a little much. People read into it wrong. Um you know, I think this is probably a, a small problem for a small majority of people. You know, as I'm saying it out loud now, it makes me sound like a, a jerk. And that wasn't my point. My point was occasionally I like to encourage people and they would sometimes read it the wrong way. So I think it goes both ways. Uh, when you encourage someone and tell them they're awesome, now all of a sudden they want double in pay um, or they feel like that they get a bigger head and that they should be promoted. Um, and so that's a fine line you kind of walk where you want to show genuine appreciation uh, but you also uh, want to make sure it doesn't uh, cross any boundaries with everyone else where they feel like other people are getting it more than the others. And I feel like the SEALs have done a good job of giving appreciation to the team versus the individual, which I think is more important um, because I think that ultimately that's what I want. And the kind of person I want working for me isn't the individual savior, if you will, but the the guy who understands or the gal who understands they're part of a, a larger calling, part of a larger team. Um, and when the team wins, everybody wins. That's right. And that, that's that culture, right? That's the culture of the of the Navy SEAL teams. Um, it's incredible. It's, it's all about a team. Literally named the SEAL teams. But, you know, back to your back to your point was if you are a leader and you're having or a manager and you have that that challenge of, hey, how do I how do I show my appreciation if I am lacking in, in the ability to do that? Dude, you know what I've done in the past? Delegation. Hey, I'm not great at this area. It's just like everything, in, everything, right? I'm not great in this area. How about I get a guy that is? You know, I, you, you, know, you met um, one of my best buddies, um, Joe. And Joe is so great. He spoke at my retirement ceremony and he is so great as a uh, like a cheerleader within the within the platoon or the troop. He is one of the best cheerleaders that I know. He can come into a you know platoon space, uh, you know, a troop space, and he can motivate everybody just through great humor, his vibe, uh, the way he talks and the way he relates to, you know, the the, the brand new guy all the way up to the, you know, the trooper team, team commander. And, you know, so sometimes what I would do, uh, what I would say is, Hey, this is the message I need to uh, portray. How about I delegate this to him and let him verbalize it, uh, for me? Because at the end of the day, what really matters, right? 
it, what really matters in terms of the motivation, the reason why we motivate any team, the reason why we motivate any organization is to get the best possible outcome. Does it matter if it's coming from me? It doesn't. That's what I've always thought. Like, does it matter? Am I that Am I that conceited that I have to make sure that everyone understands that it's coming from me or does it matter that the organization succeeds or that the you know, team or the entity that, succeeds? That's perfect, Kyle. Like I always have this, I call it the paradox of leadership and that's the more credit I give away um, and the more opportunity I give to others, the better I look as a leader, um, which is contrary to what a lot of people think. A lot of leaders want to hold on to it. I did the job. I'm handling all of this. Then everyone will see what a great thing I've done. And ultimately, no one sees what you've done because nobody experienced it with you. But when I gave all the opportunity away to my team and I gave all the credit away to my team, everybody in leadership within the organization looked at me and said, wow, what a great leader he is. He's doing a fantastic job. And it's, it's funny because we think the opposite often in leadership. I need to do it all. I need him so that everyone knows that I can get the credit. And, and it's funny because when I found I did the exact opposite, I actually started uh, being more successful, getting promoted sooner, getting higher income and higher raises as a result. And people liked me uh, better. And so it was completely the opposite of what I think generally everyone thinks when it comes to leadership. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> one of my favorite hacks was uh, <laughs> know the messenger, right? and uh, know the recipient. And what I, <laughs> said, please, uh, whoever uh, listening, feel free to steal this one. I, this was one of my favorite ones, is uh, I had a guy working for me, incredible, incredible operator. I mean, he was one of the best, one of the best, right? And love this guy, love him to death. Still to this day, great friends. And uh, he had done some very, very famous in our world of special operations, some very, very famous operations, some notable operations, right? Classified operations, but noticeable in our circles. And what he was, what he had that I didn't necessarily was some of these very, very high, high, um, high, uh, high identified, highly uh, known ops under his belt, if you will, right? So when he would talk compared to me talking, uh, a lot of people would just listen due to the nature of uh, experience, right? Just because of these, uh, these ops were so, so well known. And, um, and it was great. You know, it was great. Guys would be, you know, clinging on every word that he said. And so, (laughs) but what was funny was, is that he might not have been as articulate as some of the the rest of us. He would, hey, you know, you guys just you guys just got to go over there and you know just like just like do it, you know, just make it happen. So what I started doing is I started realizing was how much it didn't matter if I, if Kyle Bucket, if Buck, it didn't matter how well I articulated my training points, my critiques, my guidance. It didn't matter if I did it ten times better than he did to portray my point. Everyone would listen and everyone would be respectful, but they wouldn't really be clinging on every word like if he said it. So what I started doing is I would write down all of my critique points and right before we were gonna do the after action, I would just hand them off to him. And I'd go, hey man, here, you just say these. 
it was hilarious because as soon as I did right. that, as soon as I did that, all of my, you know, all of my points, all of my AAR points were like they were coming from him. And it was hilarious because you would immediately see the change in the troop that was going through training. You would immediately see how they would respond to it and how they would get better so much faster than if I had delivered the message. Hilarious. So my point of all of this is, you know, be aware of that. Don't be so concerned that you have to have to have to always be the one delivering the message. At the end of the day, what matters most? Is it, hey, Chris or Kyle delivers the message or is it the entity, the organization, the business gets better? Right. That, that's it. That nailed it. OK, we're going to close up here. Uh, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. I'll jump in and answer them, too. <clears throat> so you don't have to um, fire them back at me. But um, 10 quick yeah. questions. I don't want you to think too long on this um, to wrap up with uh, with Kyle and Chris. Uh, Kyle, looking back on your career up to this point, what's the most important lesson you've learned? The one I just told you. Right. Um, don't have to do everything. Let others do it for you, even the talking points. Got it. Hey, you said AR. What's AR? After action review. AAR. See, I mean, as, as commoners, we don't understand that kind of stuff. So I appreciate that. Hey, after action review, that's good. We should do that more often. I feel like in, in a lot of my companies and businesses that I worked with, we were always running and gunning to the next project. We never took the time to stop and, and think about what we learned and why it worked and why it didn't work and fix things moving forward. Um, and so I think one of the lessons that we could learn from you guys is that that was an important part of your process. Good. Yeah, good very, very. Probably one of the most important, actually, what we do. Amazing. If you're listening out there, you just heard a Navy SEAL who is the most elite warrior in the entire world tell you that the most important thing they did was after action reporting. And I'm guessing if you're like me and you've been in the business world your entire career, it's often considered one of the least important things that you do, mm-hmm. even though um, you know that it, it has a massive amount of, of wealth of information that you could learn from should you all stop and, and reassess I- things. I would like to add on that actually is, uh, you know, the, the troops, the platoons that would come through training, uh, what we would always notice as cadre is that the troops that would spend time on their after action reviews, spend time discussing after the operation or the training exercise, discussing their lessons learned. Those were always, always the best troops. Always. Fascinating and not surprising. All right, number yeah. two, what book has influenced the, you the most in your life or books? You know, Ooh, pro, you know, the Bible, hands down, hands down the Bible without it's a, a good question. book. It's number one bestseller <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Undefeated. 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 Uh, second, though, um, actually, what's yours? I would say the Bible as well, but I'd also add, I loved uh, Seth Godin's linchpin. You know, I was at a point in my life and career, I didn't even finish the book. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I got to this part in the book where he asked a question um, or, or makes a statement. You, if you ask most leaders what kind of team member they want, they'll often tell you they just want someone who shows up on time, doesn't right. cause any drama, and does their job. And then his next sentence was what totally revolutionized my life. He said, isn't it ironic? Those are the kinds of people that never get promoted. 
And, uh, and I think, you know, the point was I was struggling and I had gotten to a point where it's like, I was causing trouble. My boss was frustrated. I wasn't really happy with my boss. Uh, I didn't understand why we were doing things this way. It didn't make sense to me. I've been brought in as a deep thinker and consultor and to try and fix things and grow things. And it just seemed everything we did was counterproductive to what I believe was right. And not that I thought everything I thought was right. It just didn't make sense to me. And I just needed someone to help me make sense of it. And I had finally come to the point in my life where I said, you know what, I'm just going to come in. I'm just going to do my job, put my head down, go home and live the rest of my life. And I got to that point in the book. And I was like, it was like mind blowing. I went in the next day and wrote uh, a, a one page uh, report, an email uh, stating why I thought what we were doing was silly, why it didn't make any sense and how we had continued to do the same and behave the same for year after year and had made no changes whatsoever. And it just wasn't logical. And I sent it to him and I sent it to his boss. I mean, it was a really ballsy thing to do. And, uh, and I just sat back and my boss called me into his office and he said, why did you do that? And why did you send it to my boss? And, uh, and I just explained it. Look, I didn't know what else to do. I was frustrated. Um, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. It's not the way I want to live my life. I didn't understand what's going on. I kid you not. I go back to my desk. There's a, an email from his boss saying, let's talk. I agree with everything you said. Let's figure this out. And uh, less than 12 months later, I was leading that entire department. Um, so it really revolutionized me. It was Seth Godin's linchpin. Um, Seth's mm -hmm. a great marketer. Uh, he just thinks differently than a lot of people. And, uh, and that book really challenged me. It didn't have anything to do with marketing, but, uh, definitely love that one just for the way it transformed my career. So all right. Good. Number three. So good. Uh, what's something you wished you would have learned much earlier in your career that someone would have told you? Ooh. I, you know, I'm going to go back to what I already said earlier. I wish I would have understood motivators. I wish I really would have understood how the motivators don't necessarily matter. It's more about identifying them. Nice. I'll add mine is very similar to that. Understanding personality profiles. Uh, yeah. We did a personality profile called the DISC. Uh, the D-I-S-C. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's it, so it's good. really not really a personality profile as much as an understanding how to communicate with someone. So some people like having lots of details. Some people don't. Some people, uh, the eyes are influencers. They like to sort of have the bullet points. They like to have an emotional connection and on. And, you know, I didn't realize I tried. I treated everybody the way I saw myself and just assumed everyone else should think the same way. Um, and I think when someone shared with me how to understand and sort of even figure out quickly through some conversational questions, what kind of personality type they were. You don't even have to have them take the test. You can figure it out pretty quick afterwards. That changed everything. Okay. When I talk to Kyle, I know I need to come in with a lot more details. I know when I talk to Bill, I need to go in and I really just have to have the bullet points. And it was really started, people appreciated the way that I talked to them in a way they understood. And um, I would definitely say that was probably something I wish someone would have told me sooner. I would have saved a lot of heartache for myself and for the way I treated others. And I'm going to add a second point is that I was so eager to always want to do things on my own. I would try and do things on my own. Um, and when I learned if I brought people along and included people in the process, one, everything went better. Two, everything was more successful. And three, uh, people enjoyed working with me a whole lot more uh, than they did when I just went off on my own. So, um, all right, Kyle, number four, what's the most fulfilling professional accomplishment you've ever had? Um... Ooh, uh, I would say leading men into battle. 
leading men, uh, getting getting the opportunity to to be you know the ground force commander, to actually lead men into battle, and you know have men, not just American men, um, you know foreigners as well, under your care and under your uh, charge, if you will, and be responsible at the end of the day for what happens on the battlefield. That that was. I still, I, as I'm saying it out loud, honestly, I'm still like, wow, you know? <laughs> wow. I love it. Um, I probably would answer that with, uh, I worked for um, Dave Ramsey for many years, for almost 10 years, flew around the nation with him. Some people love Dave. Some people hate Dave. I love him. He's the true, he's the genuine character, true deal. Uh, what, he, what, he, what he says is what you get. I think ultimately what I love the most about Dave is that um, he taught me how to help a lot of other people. He said, Mefford, if you help uh, as many people as you possibly can, you'll never have to worry about anything else the rest of your life. And so, I mean, his mantra was Mm -hmm. just help and help and help. And so I I think that's been great. And um, that's good. All right. We're going to one last question. Um. What advice would you give someone to supercharge their career? You know, that <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of, of, of that question because I think that you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I think that you as an individual should be focused on truly what you want to do, what's going to make you happy, what's going to make you content and then ensure that you're in that or you're driving towards that and give it your all. And depending on, on what that is, uh, that could take 10 years. It could take 20 years. Um, I mean, if you're, it it could, and honestly, it could never happen. If you're 55 years old and you go, Hey, I want to be in the NFL. It's not going to happen. Right. So, I mean, you have to be realistic as well. So, I think, you know, we're so focused in, in this modern day society of, of instant gratification that, you know, being aware of, hey, be, be careful about focusing on how do I supercharge my career now. On the flip side, though, I'm not going to avoid the question. If you're already in your, your dream career and you're driving towards it, how would you put some fuel on that fire? I would say get off freaking Netflix, get off social media, get off your phone and stop spending so much time on DMs and text messages and work. I mean, it's fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me when I do a deep dive with one of our, you know, one of our clients or with one with someone we're consulting with, Chris, you and I have done it numerous times and we look at their calendar and we and we deep dive their calendar, how much time they spend on other things outside of their career. But then they want to sit there and complain to us on how they want to supercharge their career. Right. It's always it's always fascinating to me. And and when you and I sit there and or when I sit there and I look at their calendar and then I and then we go, hey, uh, (laughs) sir, uh, ma'am, you've got 20 hours in this week. Where where did that 20 hours go? What, What did you do with that time? 
So I think in modern day society, we have so much excess of time that, you know, that is afforded to us that we didn't have, you know, 50, 100 years ago that people should just really look at that calendar and really understand where your time suck is going. I love it. How about you? What do you think? Um, Reed, I think that people uh, um, hear that, uh, but they don't do it enough. I think readers are leaders. Uh, I wish that someone would have told me sooner how much reading would change the way uh, I think about projects, I think about team members, how I think about success. Uh, There's a lot of people out there who have gone what I've gone through already, and it doesn't matter because I already um, am figured out what uh, they needed to do rather because I read the book. And so I think reading, 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 um, you know, I, I put a challenge together. I, I want to read uh, 12 nonfiction books a year. Uh, sometimes I listen to them through Audible. Uh, and so when I started using Audible, I started knocking out uh, about a book a week. And so I think it's, you know, I, I try not to digest that and go that hard uh, simply because it doesn't allow me the time to reflect on what I've read uh, when I'm just trying to get through books. But I think reading has really been the most influential thing. It's oftentimes made me seem like I'm the smartest guy in the room when, in fact, I am not. (laughs) Um, And I mean that not in a self-deprecating way. I mean, I I never considered myself, you know, I was a pretty average student. I always had to work hard to get where I was. But uh, the fact that I would have read so many books and be able to throw this little tidbit or that little tidbit around, people seem to respect that and thought I was – probably far smarter than I, I deserve to be thought of. So yeah, reading. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's good. Oh, I love that. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, we, well, we're going to have, let's do, let's do the next five questions on the next pod. Um, cause we've got them good. I like, uh, I like, uh, I like these questions. We'll keep these going. And you know what I'm excited about, Chris is hearing our guests, uh, from this season, and their answers to these questions. We've got some incredible guests. Um, we've got restauranteurs we, and some world-class restauranteurs, uh, Jeff Williams. We've got you know, some, some really, really cool, uh, some of my friends are gonna be coming on. We've got some. Uh, we've got some great guests. I'm excited for this season, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Well, I enjoyed talking to you today. Uh, if you liked this, go ahead and listen to the next three or four podcasts. Tell us what you think. Email us, uh, Chris at cultureforce.team. Team. We'd love to hear from you. Give us your thoughts and uh, uh, whatever questions you might have, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to uh, doing more of this over the next many months. We will answer those questions. Please send them. All right, man. I'll talk to you later, Kyle. Yeah, buddy. I've been on my own Trying to, trying to, trying to find my way